Join my friends, Jeremy and Kelly, with their combined background in DNA, journalism, and law, as they share tales of injustice and intrigue with a focus on true crimes along the banks of the Mississippi. So sit back, grab a glass of sweet tea, and welcome to Riverside Homicide. Welcome back to another episode of Riverside Homicide. Today we're going to cover another case that generated a lot of local attention here in the Memphis area back in 2011. It's the disappearance and murder of Holly Lynn Bobo. Now Holly wasn't from Memphis, but she was from Decatur County, which is just about two hours east of Memphis. She was born October 12, 1990 to Dana and Karen Bobo, and she was 20 years old and a nursing student at the time that she went missing. This case not only you know had local attention, it was a nationally known case at the time. It was the state of Tennessee's most expensive missing person investigation in the state's history. Unfortunately, this case is also an example of the media confusing the public with misinformation. The media seemed to report on rumors and erroneous tips from the public, and you know it led to a lot of speculation. Even so-called psychics got involved at the time on this case. But, you know, we always like to talk about, you know, the person. So what do we know about Holly Bobo as a person? Well, um, she lived on Swan Johnson Road with her parents and her brother, her older brother, Clint. He was five years older than her. They lived in a community known as Darden, which is a small town, just has like 400 people in it. And she attended college in the city of Parsons. And that's also not a big um, area. There's just about 2,000 people that live there. Now side geeky note um pop culture note i guess holly bobo's first cousin is whitney duncan that probably doesn't mean much to most people uh whitney had a brief moment uh a spotlight when she competed on the singing talent show nashville star in 2007 that was the same season that casey musgraves mm. uh, participated okay. or what have you so um, Casey came in seventh place and Whitney came in fifth place. So she actually placed higher than, than Casey. Oh, wow. But later on, she actually went on to be on Survivor as well. She was on the 23rd season. Oh, okay. That's cool. I, I, don't, I don't remember her. I didn't watch that season. I love Casey Musgraves, though. Casey, but that's, yeah. that's cool that she placed higher I than her. I guess her music career must not have taken off uh, as well as Casey's. Not that I know of. Yeah. Um, and I've never missed an episode of Survivor, so I'm sure I saw her, but I yeah. don't remember her by any chance. I know she was on the season 23 where Ozzy and Cochran were on. So for those who watch Survivor, you'll remember those two people. But anyway, she's tied to Holly, Holly Bobo. Bobo. Well, that's interesting. Um, Holly, Back to Holly. She was she was short. She was about 5'3". Same as me. Holly's friends described her as shy and sweet. She attended Scotts Hill High School, and she excelled in school. She was a great student. She loved the colors blue and pink, and she was really close to her mother, Karen. She enjoyed singing in the church choir, and as we mentioned earlier, she was a nursing student attending the University of Tennessee at Martin Parsons Center in Parsons, Tennessee. And just looking at pictures of her, she's a really pretty girl. You know, blonde hair, blue eyes, just real pretty. Probably the reason why I got a lot of national yeah. attention, as yeah. we've seen with other Gabby Petito and yeah. other cases. Um, on the morning of Wednesday, April 13th, 2011, Holly woke up before sunrise to study for an exam. You know, we just said she's a good student, so that was important to her. Her boyfriend, Drew Scott, was also up early that morning. He was out hunting turkey on Holly's grandmother's, she had a nearby property. Drew called her around 7.30 a.m. 
Holly then later spoke to her father for about an hour that morning while she was sitting at the kitchen table. She had on a pink shirt, light blue jeans, and she had on black flip-flops. Her mother then packed Holly a lunch, and then her parents left for work while her brother Clint, he was still asleep at home in the family home. Twelve minutes later, Holly then called her friend and classmate Hannah Reese, and, you know, it was just... Sounds like it was a very normal, average day for the family. But this phone call that she made, that was her last phone call. So after this point, all phone calls and text messages that went to Holly, they all went unanswered. So it was around 7.40 in the morning, 10 minutes after the call with her boyfriend, Drew, that a close neighbor of the Bobos, his name was James Barnes, he walked out of his home to go to work and he heard a scream um, from Holly's home. And he lived just about 750 feet away from the Bobo, so very close. He tells his mother about it, but he just goes to work. But the mother was concerned, so she called Karen Bobo, Holly's mom, at work about five minutes later. Meanwhile, Holly's brother woke up to barking dogs around 7.50 in the morning. So he goes and looks out the window to see what's going on, and he notices that Holly's black Ford Mustang is still in the driveway. But he sees Holly outside with the man who's dressed in camouflage. Now, Clint, her brother, thought, well, this man in camo was probably her boyfriend, Drew. Um, And so he wasn't, like, super concerned or or alarmed. But he did hear them raising voices. So he assumed, well, they must be in an argument or breaking Mm -hmm. up or something. But he was like, well, why hasn't she gone to school? Because, you know, she's a good student. Mm -hmm. She's not known to be tardy for school. She normally left around 7.55 in the morning. And school was not that far, or college, rather, was not that far. It was just like a six-mile drive from their home. So he thought, well, maybe maybe she's not going to school today, and she's going to go hunting with her boyfriend. So he, he didn't really know what was going right. on. He just heard He wasn't noises. super alarmed at that point. No, he just woke up, dogs barking, yeah. looked out the window, you know, yeah. hears some arguing, thought, oh, they must be having a, a you know, lover's quarrel. Yeah. Holly's mom, Karen, calls home after James Barnes' mother, that that was the neighbor, called her at work. And then Holly's mom, Karen, she tells Clint that, no, that's not Drew, because Drew was turkey hunting at the grandmother's house. So Karen, Holly's mom, she then tells Clint, the brother, go get a gun. Go shoot the guy in camo. Like, she wasn't playing around. She She immediately knew something was wrong. Yes. So she was like, no, we don't know who this person is. We don't know what's going, going on. So go take care of it. But Clint, however, he hesitates because, you know, he is pretty sure he's like, he's for sure thought that the guy in camo was Holly's boyfriend. But mind you, you know, as you just said, he had, he had just woken up. So maybe he was a little groggy. Karen, the mother, she calls 911 from work around 7.55 a.m. But like some of the other cases we've covered, um, specifically the Lorenzen Wright case we've Mm -hmm. covered earlier, this 911 call gets routed to the wrong county since she's calling from Scotts Hill Elementary. That's where she taught second grade. And the school is located in Henderson County, but the Bobo home is in Decatur County. So there's right from the get-go, there's a little hiccup. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, Clint, Holly's brother, he looks outside again and he watches Holly walk into the woods with this man in camo. And that's when he realized this guy is not her boyfriend. He looks different. Like he's a different size. This guy is um, between 5'10 and 6 feet tall, around 180, 200 pounds. So he said, this is not her boyfriend. So he becomes alarmed yeah. then. So around 7.55, he calls Holly's phone, but she doesn't answer. He calls Scott's phone, her boyfriend, no answer. 
Meanwhile, uh, Holly's mom, Karen, she calls home a little before 8 o'clock in the morning, and Clint tells her what he just saw, and Karen says, call 911. So at 8 a.m., he Clint, Clint then grabs a gun. He's got a loaded pistol. He goes outside. In the garage, he sees a puddle of blood near his sister's car, and he calls 911. So he's pretty alarmed at this point. Uh, about 10 minutes after his call, the police arrive at the Bobo home. Which and, is pretty fast. Yeah, that is. It's a good response time. And they decide that, well, he's calling from the, the correct county this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the police come, and they decide she must have been abducted as she tried to get into her car and go to nursing school. And at that point, you know, she's not seen or heard from her loved ones again. So the police get right, go to work right away. They contact AT&T, which is who Holly had her cell phone with, um, to try to track her phone down. Apparently her phone was still on um, because the cell phone tower was pinging um, and showing that she was moving north towards a, a wooded area near the interstate. But then it stopped moving for about a half an hour, and then it went on the move again, but this time it was going south and not in the same direction. So by 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, this phone activity just stops completely. Mm. It's good that they got on it that quick and contacted the phone company that fast. Um, once word spread of her disappearance, hundreds of people start combing the woods and the fields in Decatur and Henderson counties. They're on foot. They're on four-wheelers. Even some of them are on horseback. The, the search area just kept uh, expanding each day. The police questioned and then cleared her brother Clint uh, they examined him for scratches or signs of a struggle. They reviewed his computer and his cell phone, and he even took two polygraph tests, which I, he must have passed for them to clear him. Right. So immediately, I guess some suspicion was on him because he they was were the, the only, one. He was the yeah. one who called it in, and they were. He was home. He was home. Mm-hmm. He saw, you know, allegedly her his right. sister be, you know. So, so they had to check him out. I understand mm-hmm. that. But obviously, an additional stress to the family that yeah. I'm sure they were aggravated with yeah so she goes missing on april 11th 2011 Uh, four days later on april 15th authorities found a lunchbox that they thought belonged to holly they found it about six or seven miles from from her house um on april 16th uh, volunteers you know are still out looking for items that anything that might belong to holly but nothing was found on the 17th the tennessee bureau of investigation or the tbi they said they'd already received more than 250 tips or leads. By April 18th, uh, the re- they had a reward out for, you know, for information on Holly. It, they increased it from 25000 to 75000 And then later on, $5,000 more is added. It gets The reward ends up becoming $250,000. Wow. I don't know who's giving the money, if, mm-hmm. it's, if it's the, the family. family or just some supporters. But right. That's a lot of money. A lot of money trying to get you know, answers because she's disappeared now. She's been gone for uh, a little over a week at Mm. this point. Well, at this point, the case goes silent then for two whole years. They don't hear anything. So they have the cell phone information right away. Mm -hmm. They find what they believe to be, you know, a lunchbox. Yeah. They have the puddle of blood by her car. And then they have what the brother Clint said happened. Right. And that's pretty much it. That's all they got. And then nothing. Um, if anything, however, was found in that you know two-year time period, it's not released publicly. On April 18th, 2013, this is how much time's gone by, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, or is, again, we're just going to call it TBI to 
keep it brief. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. Tennessee <laughs> Bureau of Investigations. Um, the TBI came into possession of a pink purse that so they thought, well, maybe this belongs to Holly. But they brought in her mother the next day and, you know, she confirmed, no, that, that purse doesn't belong to my daughter. The TBI then reaches out to the community and they're asking people to take note of anyone whose actions seem suspicious. And so this is, again, two years after her disappearance, the TBI, like, I guess, gives this public public warning plea plea, uh, and it's specific this is to quote it it says if somebody suddenly called in sick to work or missed an appointment wednesday thursday or friday that's information we'd want to know if somebody has suddenly begun cleaning up an atv or car or reported a car suddenly stolen or turned around and sold a vehicle that's information that we'd want to know if somebody's feeling very anxious or acting suspicious behaving abnormally feeling a lot of anxiety these are all things that would lead us to believe that this person could be a suspect. Maybe, maybe not. Kind of a it's oddly a, phrased <laughs> it plea is. It's, for information. Yeah. It's like, do you know anybody that's anxious and cleaning their car <laughs> two years that happened two ago? years ago? It's a little, I don't know. To me, that seems a little out of place. I, I mean, I get what they're saying. But why didn't they do that right after it happened? Ago, why did they wait yeah. two years? It's very odd. So we skip ahead to February of 2014. So that's... Another year. Almost three years later, the TBI executes a search warrant for uh, the home of a guy named Zachary Adams. Now, we're going to warn you right away. There are a lot of, we'll call them characters, Mm -hmm. people attached to this case. case. Mm -hmm. We'll do our best to try to remind you who's who. But there's there's five or six people that we got to keep up with here. So this first guy, Zachary Adams, he lives about 15 minutes from Holly's house. And... They get a search warrant to go, you know, look at his house, but they make a statement that TBI does saying it's too early to name any suspects. But, but you know, by the fact that they're searching his house, people are automatically going to assume, well, right, he's suspicious, suspicious <laughs> for, yeah. for some some crime, right? Um, in early March of 2014, so just a few months after they, you know, got the search warrant for Zachary Adams, which is then another 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 character jumps in. Um, this is Dylan Adams. He was an intellectually disabled man. He's brought into the police station on unrelated weapon charges. While it's unclear what brought, you know, suspicion on Dylan in relation to the Holly Bobo case, uh, the man, Dylan, confessed to the police that he saw his brother, Zach. So who we were just talking about, Zachary Adams is his brother. Dylan says he saw his brother, Zach, and then his brother's friend, Jason Autry. So this is the third person involved. He says he saw these people with Holly after her abduction. After her abduction. Yeah. So Dylan is saying he saw his brother, Zachary, and he saw his friend, Jason Autry, with Holly after abduction. Then a few days later, on March 5th, 2014, the TBI held a news conference and announced that Zachary Adams had been indicted on charges of especially aggravated kidnapping and felony first-degree murder of Holly Bobo. So... When I saw that, like, especially aggravated kidnapping, that seems to be an oddly phrased Yeah, what charge. makes it especially? And I think it's um, something specific to Tennessee, maybe, um, in terms of how they categorize things. But there's basically three different forms of kidnapping, I guess, legally. So there's regular kidnapping is defined as moving another person a substantial distance by force or fear without the other person's consent. And then the second type is aggravated kidnapping is when the kidnapping is accompanied by a serious bodily injury to the victim, a ransomed is demanded, carjacking, 
fraud, force, or fear upon a victim under the age of 14. Especially aggravated kidnapping, which is what they're charged with, is a more severe form of aggravated kidnapping and is defined as false imprisonment accomplished with a deadly weapon, accomplished with the deadly weapon and resulting in serious bodily injury to the victim or accomplished with the intent to inflict serious bodily injury to the victim. It's interesting that they're categorized that way because I would have just thought it would have been... I guess it's like murder. Kidnapping and then murder. Yeah. Yeah. Degrees. Yeah. Degrees of kidnapping. That's interesting. Especially aggravated kidnapping. So the worst case possible of kidnapping was what he was charged with. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And first degree murder. So worst of both. Right. So on April 29th, 2014, the TBI holds another news conference and announces that Jason Autry. He was the friend. Has also been indicted on charges of especially aggravated kidnapping and felony first-degree murder for Holly Bobo. Okay. So Zach and his friend Jason were charged, but Dylan hasn't been charged at this point. They haven't said. Um, But more about him later, I guess. But a month later, um, after these charges, May 29, 2014, we were bringing in two more people, um, brothers Jeffrey and Mark Piercy. They're charged with tampering with evidence and accessory after the fact. TBI investigators believe that they had knowledge of a video containing images of Holly alive, tied up, crying. Awful. That they, I guess they had this video of her. They knew that it existed or something. Just sounds terrible. So we've got them now. Jeffrey and Mark Piercy. And then... Another person. Got another one. Another man. Shane Austin. He's also charged in the case. This is a lot of people involved. Shane had reached an immunity agreement that depended on Holly's body being recovered from the place where he said it was buried. The deal then was, however, was rescinded after the prosecutor said that he wasn't being truthful. Shane was later found dead in a Florida hotel room and what police said was an apparent suicide. Mm. So try to keep everybody in mind who all we have. We have uh, Jeffrey and Mark Piercy, Shane Austin... And then Dylan Adams, Zachary Adams, and Jason Autry. So there's a lot of people. A lot of people involved to you know, various degrees. In September of 2014, they find Holly. They find her remains in the woods north of Decatur County. And the gruesome discovery was actually um, uncovered by ginseng hunters. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Did ginseng like, that? yeah, ginseng like the herb? Yeah. Hmm. I did not know that a ginseng hunter was a thing. But I, I didn't know that was hunting for <laughs> herbs was a thing either. No, but. I guess we'll have to do some research on what a ginseng hunter entails. But in that's Tennessee, cool. yeah. what are you doing this weekend? Ginseng hunting. You know, it's ginseng hunting season. season. <laughs> it's about a season. Uh, um, yeah, so I definitely you know. Hashtag the more you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, one of the hunters, his name is Larry. He claimed to have found a large bucket in the area and he upturned it. And, um, you know, we don't know exactly what was in the bucket, mm-hmm. but behind him were Holly's partial remains. And the list, of, you know, it's, it's sad. It's mm-hmm. her skull, her teeth, uh, several ribs, a single shoulder blade. And her skull had been pierced with a bullet hole. And the trajectory was going back, was from the back right through to her left cheekbone. So it appears based on that is that maybe she was shot from the back, back, of, the back head. of the head yeah that's awful so her body's found in 2014 but you know the way the justice system works the trial for zachary adams 
doesn't start until 2017. So that's six years yeah, later. Long after, time. After she went missing. The prosecution's star witness is Jason Autry, who is, as we mentioned earlier, Zachary Adams' friend. Jason Autry told jurors he helped Adams, Zachary Adams, move Holly's body. Jason said that he saw his friend Zachary the day of Holly's disappearance. He said he saw Zach trying to buy some drugs. And then Zach showed him a body that was wrapped in a blanket in, in his truck. Jason testified that Zachary said, this is Holly. And he asked him to help him bury the body. Jason said he drove with Zachary to a river, a river, excuse me, and helped unload the body from the truck. But then, this is terrible, he heard that she made a sound. So at this point, still she's still alive. alive. So he was going to, he told him, oh, help me bury this person, but she's still alive. Hmm. And so Jason then served as a lookout as Zachary shot her. So prosecution said that Zachary Adams was involved in, you know, drugs, methamphetamines, morphine, um, in that I guess they were high on these substances Mm -hmm. when they abducted Holly, held her against her will, raped her killed her and then hid her remains and they said prosecutors said it was zach and two other men that helped him so yeah but that's what we're going to get into that more now it says in the closing argument the prosecutor said that it was shane austin who walked with holly bobo into the woods so that must be he's the guy who ended up killing himself right so maybe that's who clint saw because clint said he saw a guy in camo walking her into the woods so they're saying this is shane austin um, like you said, he eventually killed himself. Then Shane and the Adams brothers, Zachary and Dylan, raped Holly in Shane's grandmother's barn. The prosecutor said that the names of all four men had surfaced early on in the investigation, but that the former Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, their lead detective, Terry Dykus, became, he was convinced that a sex offender was responsible for the killing, and he wasn't listening to the clues that were pointing them to Zachary Adams as the killer. So narrow-minded um yeah he had he had a conclusion in his mind already and he was trying to support that and he didn't want to listen Mm. so zachary he's convicted and sentenced to life in prison um as for the other guys in january of 2018 dylan adams he takes an alfred plea and we've heard about Mm -hmm. this um it's what was in the west memphis three case the The staircase killer case which we haven't covered but if you've ever it's on netflix yeah. yeah um but the Alfred plea is a guilty plea in which the person doesn't admit they did anything wrong. They maintain their innocence, but um, they said that, you know, basically they realize or recognize there's enough evidence that makes them mm-hmm. look guilty, um, but they avoid a guilty verdict and therefore the sentence. So he was sentenced to 35 years without parole for facilitation of first degree murder and aggravated kidnapping. In 2020 in september of 2020 so two years later jason autry is released from prison um for his time served after reaching the plea agreement with with uh, prosecutors before zachary adams first trial but four months later he's arrested in benton county tennessee and returned to prison on federal charges including a felon in possession of a firearm drug possession and evading arrest so um zach adams his brother Dylan Adams and friend Jason Autry were ultimately charged with especially aggravated kidnapping, first degree murder and rape of Holly Bobo. The other two guys, uh, Jeffrey and Mark Piercy were arrested on charges of accessory after the fact and tampering with evidence that's related to the the video Mm -hmm. that was filmed. 
Um, but eventually those charges against the two brothers, uh, Jeffrey and Mark Piercy, were dropped. Wow. So that's kind of where the case ended in terms of the court system. Mm-hmm. Um, justice, air quote, you know, was served. Um, but as much as it could be. It was a slow process, very yeah. slow process for the family. But there was some good that came out of this um, in the end in the year 2021. Oh, yeah, it says in 2021, so it's 10 years after Holly's disappearance, a new law went into effect in Tennessee. It's called the Holly Bobo Law, and it expands options for endangered child alerts in Tennessee, allowing law enforcement to issue them not only for kids, for children, but also for young adults under the age of 21. So it's while it's less urgent than Amber Alerts, endangered child alerts are pushed to the media and sent out through the TBI's own social media. So that's really nice that's great that they have it's a positive that. change that comes out of this tragic event yeah uh, something because good. holly was a college student not amber alert right no well, i don't say worthy but well didn't we, qualify. we see amber alerts for for young children so it's nice that there is something for you know and they do wooden for seniors age. now too i think so silver yeah. alert mm-hmm. that we see um so oh this was a, a a big case in our community and throughout the nation and um it's it's super sad but it it Again, at least this new law came into effect to kind of um, leaves her legacy. You know, people are going to yeah. re- you know, remember her name um, because of, of this tragedy. Something we didn't find out too much of, and I would like, I wish we knew more, is if these any of these men knew her. You know, like... Yeah, how did they... Approve? Right, like how did they... It's a small town, so I'm assuming... And she was very pretty. So, I mean, like, maybe they just saw a pretty girl and wanted to take advantage of her or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, were they friends? Yeah, were they, just, that's what I'd be curious to know if there was any connection with them or not. I don't know. I don't either. We'll have to look into that a little bit further. But this is a sad case, but I am glad that it did have, I mean, like you said, there was some justice done. And I'm glad that they were able to Super get slow, that law though, for her. Ten years for the family to, you know, kind of have resolution. But, um yeah. And, and it's interesting too, you know, comparing this to some of the other cases we've covered, some of the similarities. Common, de- common denominators. Things yeah. that seem to keep happening, like with the the 911 call being made in one county and then, you know, half the, the crime was in another county. That was right, just, just like, communication, like communication issues with that. We've mm-hmm. seen that before with Lorenz and Wright. And then again, the Alfred plea. That's always interesting to me whenever I see the yeah. Alfred plea come up. Because I wonder, like, why doesn't everybody? Right. And if the, you're, why wouldn't everybody? And law enforcement having some missteps with the the TBI guy focused in on, mm-hmm. you know, he was convinced that it was some local registered sex offender, um, and he was channeling his energies in, into trying to prove that point prove as opposed theory. to looking at, you know, all the other information that was coming in. So definitely some missteps along the way, um, but again, hopefully the Holly Bobo law. Well, yeah, we'll help in the future. I mean, you know, these things are going to happen again. They have happened again. So it's good that that's in effect and we have that. Yeah. So that wraps up this case um, the, for Holly Bobo. We um, are obviously working on some other ones. We have one that we drove um, almost three hours away to um, to a hometown county of, of our family, where my grandmother's from, our grandmother. Um, there's a, um, a case we're working on there. So hopefully we have that one out to you soon and um, next month. So for those listening to this, um, as soon as this podcast comes out in September of 2023, um, I'll be attending CrimeCon in Orlando, Florida, and I'll be 
Uh, oh, our guest dogs. Um, I'll be at the um, Verigen Jed Match booth. So that's the um, company that if you're um, watching the news with the um, Idaho murderers case right now, there's a lot of information about investigative genetic genealogy. I'll be working a booth um, that is GEDmatch, which is one of the platforms that um, consumers like you and I can download our DNA from Ancestry, 23andMe, MyHeritage, and upload to GEDmatch. And if we select the option to allow law enforcement to use our DNA, then it allows them to help solve cold cases or active cases in the case of this Idaho killer. So anyway, I'll be at that booth um sporadically throughout the the crime con so will you be there both days it's two is it two or three days days? friday saturday sunday so you're gonna work the booth a few times each day yeah that's cool well everybody go say hi to jeremy yeah say hey to him otherwise (laughs) just uh follow us on social media we will uh, post some updates on our cases that we've covered in Mm -hmm. the past as well as um keep you advised when we have new ones coming out sounds good our social media platforms are riverside homicide we're on Facebook and Instagram, so look for us there. Riverside Homicide Podcast. Yeah. Uh, so thanks again for listening, and join us again next time for another episode of Riverside Homicide.